0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD homicide detective sergeant. I worked in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, I have two very distinguished guests. Below me is retired detective Phil Grimaldi out of the 6-0 squad and also out of the intelligence division. And he's straight out of Brooklyn. Phil, you are doing
1: good today? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Thank you for having me back, pal.
0: I could see you're in your house, so you don't have to worry about it being a two-clip location or a two-magazine location, whatever you want to call it, you know?
1: There's about 40, 50 clips in this house, so I'm like Okay, worried. good.
0: So no one's no one's going to threaten you in your own home. No. And then look on the upper right, the Patriot attorney, retired NYPD police officer, Joe Murray. How are you doing today, Joe?
2: Good, good. Glad to be here. Can't think of a better way to spend Saturday than trying to help a five-year-old girl be found.
0: 100%. We are very uh, in tune with this case. It's day 46. And one of the things that we've been noticing as New NYPD, former police officers, detective sergeants, is that there's not a lot of information coming out from the police department, the FBI, the TBI They haven't called a press conference to let people know what the progress in this case is. So they're holding things very close to the vest. And that's good. That's good. It's good and bad. It's good in the way that they're protecting the information that they have and the intelligence they have and the investigative leads that they have. But at the same time, you have to be able to use the public and use the media, play the media like a violin and get them to uh, work on the behalf of this investigation. So what I want to say is right now, we're day 46. Phil Grimaldi, you were a a detective. You caught homicides. Let's pretend this is your case. You're, you're on the job. You're in the case in, uh, you work for TBI or the FBI or the uh, Tennessee police department, the Hawkins, Hawkins County Sheriff's office day 46. What are you doing when you go into work?
1: Well, uh, just going to take a whole new fresh look at the case folder, obviously. And I'd try to pinpoint some things that I'd like to do, but just to give a little brief, uh, quick rundown of the timeline, uh, someone was reported missing on June 15th at about 1830 hours. That was 6 30 PM. Um, an extensive search started from that point. And in the, in the following days, the TBI, Tennessee Bureau investigation, as well as the FBI, joined in with the Hawkins County, which was the local police, the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office. And about 13 days in, the uh, search sort of scaled back a little bit. The search was being uh, uh, helped by uh, the fire rescue. uh, Tim Coop, I believe, was the uh, captain of the fire rescue. And then subsequent to that, Candace and Don did extensive media interviews over uh, numerous days. And then about uh, July 24th, uh, 25th, EquiSearch came back, which was last week, and they did a search. And subsequent to that, uh, around the 27th, uh, the other three boys were removed from the home. And we talked about that previously. And um, there was also some extensive media interviews with Candace and the boy H, the 15-year-old. But uh, looking at the case folder on day 46, what I would do is I would try to pinpoint some things that I might want to double check or triple check. Um, There was something that I caught in one of the uh, media uh, uh, press releases that uh, Candace said that on the day in question, she called Don first before she called the police when she noticed that uh, someone was missing. And she said that when she spoke with him, he said, well, call 911. And she had to go to her mother's trailer, which is about 20 yards away from the main home to get an AT&T phone. Cause that's the only phone that you can get, um, that you can get 911 on. But I find that contradictory because she was on the phone with, Don, if he wasn't at the location and she was on the phone with him, obviously the phone that she was using, whether it be a landline, a cell phone, whatever, was able to call him. So how could it not be possible that it could call 911? So that's one of the things that kind of jumped out. At me, that uh, I would want to uh, look at. Also, the grandmother. The grandmother, I think, is very, very important with regard to what happened on the day that she was missing, that Summer was uh, missing. Earlier that day, they went out to the hospital. They brought the, the grandmother there because she had a knee injury. So while she was there, they went and did some chores, and then they went and picked up a prescription. Now, that prescription, was it a painkiller? I believe it was a painkiller. And did she ingest these pills? Did Candace ingest any of these pills? We know they were drinking twisted tea, which is an alcoholic beverage. So is it possible that there was some type of accident occurred with Summer while they were in this drunken stupor? So I would want to speak to her again, and I would want to talk to her. I'd also want to speak to Don and Candace, because of all these extensive media interviews that they've done, I would want to look at the information and the interviews that they gave initially. And I would want to compare it to what they said publicly in these interviews. And maybe there's inconsistencies that we can go over and maybe get clarification on. And then um, the three boys, obviously I'd want to speak to them. They were home on the day that the alleged missing, uh, uh, Summer Weld's that she disappeared. I'd want to find out from them exactly what they knew as far as when they left the house, when they came back. Did Summer ever return to the house? I think that's a question that we've really been trying to find the answer to. Bill, you wanted to jump in, it looks like.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just saying all of these things we discussed before that the, um, the three boys early on in the investigation, I said, they are so important to interview. And they're so important to interview in a safe place uh where they can feel safe away from their parents. Because you know, kids will lie when they're th- they feel threatened. And when I after I saw that house, uh I just can't imagine anyone living there, first of all. And these three boys have to feel very, very threatened. And I think maybe one of the reasons that CPS uh removed those kids was that all everyone on social media was saying, how can CPS see that house and not remove those kids? And then, of course we're going to get beaten down for this. Oh, is that a regular? No, that's that's not a, a safe house. Okay. And and I've been in many horrible locations, in my police career, and that was as bad as I've seen anywhere. And if I was the sergeant that went to that scene, those kids would have removed where well, they would have been removed that day. And, um, that, that's for sure and I'm saying that as a, a former police sergeant whose responsibility it was uh and the terms they use in New York City is abused neglected or maltreated I think uh all of those words apply to, to these kids you know Joe you would seem like you want to jump in
2: yeah I do I mean uh, yes I have had some experience with family court I don't do a lot uh, of family court but I'll tell you when these kids are removed, They're going to be appointed a law guardian. That means they're going to have a lawyer who's going to advocate for their best interest. If I was the law guardian in this case, I would not allow any interviews. These kids have suffered so much trauma, the loss of their sister, the constant attacks on their parents. Now they're removed from the home not so that they could be segregated and questioned and interrogated. It's so harmful. You guys know this. When we get these child abuse cases, it's so amazing how these kids will still love and defend their parents and they're being abused and sexually abused and physically abused, but then they cry out for mommy and daddy because that's all they know. By doing this, removing them from the home, they're really alienating them from the parents. To now start interrogating them about the parents, I think is just too much detrimental harm that would be imposed on these kids. They should be in a safe environment, away from all of this, and be left alone. I really would oppose any interrogation, particularly by law enforcement. Perhaps as the attorney, I would interview them and talk to them and if they felt comfortable, or perhaps with the assistance of a uh, social worker or some healthcare mental health provider, but I would never allow law enforcement to now interrogate them. They're in my custody and care as far as legal custody. And uh, not not legal, not not the physical custody. They're not in my house, but I represent their legal interests. And I believe it would be detrimentally harmful for them at this stage of the game to be interrogated about their parents. And I don't think it would be effective. What I do believe is Candace and Don were very cooperative in the beginning, and I'm sure they allowed interviews of the children right away. I mean, the police come to the house and they're there. They're actually the last ones to, that we know to see Summer before she disappeared. So I, I would think they've already done these interviews. Now, whether or not they believe them, whether or not they feel the kids were being, you know, pressured, that's a different story. But I don't think they should be badgered until, you know, they, they get the answers they're looking for. And I would block that. So, Joe,
0: wait a minute, you're you're let's say you're uh, the attorney advocate for these kids. Would you try as their attorney advocate, try to get the truth out of them as far as did you see your sister that day uh, or uh, June 15th? Did you see her at whatever time it was? Would you ask that question?
2: My job is to protect them. So if the parents are a danger to them, I want to know about it. So I would talk to them about their circumstances and the situation I would
0: and as an attorney would you turn that information over to the police I was just going to ask it, that
2: It depends on what the issue is if there is a danger to these children and the, and the, I uncover evidence that the parents were involved absolutely Well Joe if they, if I'm they didn't see
0: if they didn't see Summer that day and that's Candace's story that she walked in the house and they by the boys and if they say, no, she, she we never saw it, then it's showing that Candace is, is lying. And there is right. very potentially foul play in this case, which we exactly. all believe there, so I, there is anyway.
2: I would have an ethical duty. I cannot allow these children to be returned because of the potential harm that could, you know, befall them. So I would have a duty to, to report that. But I wouldn't, I, I'd have to take it on, you know. <laughs> fact basis you know you know I joe people are saying joe advocating. joe
0: people in the chat are saying that your your uh, audio needs to be a little bit louder I, I i'm i'm hearing it fine but some people are saying yeah they're not it, hear it.
1: i actually raised my audio too a little when he was speaking so it was definitely a little bit low
0: okay so if you could raise your audio a little bit uh because they're, they're all they're all they're all joe they're yeah, all the way that's... in the they're all the way in the uk they can't hear you listen mm. <laughs>
2: How's that? So that
1: I want to expand on that a little bit. If you being the advocate, now you interview the children along with yeah. a social worker, I'm sure you're going to ask, well, have you ever been threatened by your parents? So I would think that if uh, these kids, something other than what we, what they reported happened, if they were told by the parents, you know, you better say this or that. If that was presented to you, I think that would be something that you'd be able to comfortably turn over to law enforcement, correct?
2: See, I wouldn't you'd have to take it in its totality. First I'd need to read the petition. What are the allegations that are being made? What is the imminent threat? When you remove a child there has to be an imminent threat of harm. Because right. think about what you're doing. You're removing them from their parents, their guardians. Right. So, I'd have to address that first. But in any discussion is always return to parents, return to parents. What do we have as a prognosis? Is it possible six months, a year? What needs to happen before return to parents? And they do that until they get to a point where the decision is there. There's too much involved that we're not going to return to parents. So I would address the immediate concern, the immediate allegations. And then if something came out of that interview that uncovered a potential harm to them, I have to advocate for them to protect them. So whatever I need to do, I will do.
1: Okay. Yeah, that,
2: that that lays
1: out the uh, the legal aspect. I'm so glad that you were here today to, to, to give us that point of view. That really makes a lot of sense. And uh, going back to the kids being removed, Don made a public statement where he said they're probably better off that this, in the, there's danger in this house. And he tried to point to people coming on the property because of the, the five-year-old being missing and uh, threats and stuff like that. But then he says that he went into a drinking episode because he was uh, so upset over it. So it sounds like that when Child Protective Services went there, he obviously may have been ranting and raving in a drunken stupor. And- you know uh, what what uh, bill was saying saying earlier uh, that we're going to get beat up about talking about the kids being removed that was not a routine Home that we saw, we we saw a home and it was quite in disarray. And you know, there's obviously drinking and narcotics use in in the in the you know in the whole uh, the whole recipe there in the home. I mean, you know, it looks from the from the interviews they've done, there's obviously uh, drinking and drugs and all this other stuff. So I'm sure that the tri- child protective services made an assessment that day between. Maybe something what Don said about there being possible danger in the home. And then they looked at the 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 surroundings. We don't know that there was even food in the refrigerator. Maybe there was something, but the place looked like it was in total disarray. So that's not a that's not an everyday run-of-the-mill home. So CPS is gonna assess all of these things. And then the fact that these kids are in the home being supervised by somebody that's in a Drinking episode, right? Don's words right out of his mouth. So I'm sure that those were all of the things that you would get in the assessment if you were the advocate for these children, that those would be the allegations, I would imagine. And we don't really know all of it, but that seems like the stuff that's on the surface that we can point to that being the reason to remove them from the home. Dana uh,
0: Cavo, uh, thank you so much for the $5 super chat. She asked the question why were the boys taken if abuse neglect wasn't present they wouldn't have been right if it was present why haven't any arrests been made well we'll tell you why the arrests haven't been made because the, the police and the investigators don't feel that they have a strong enough case yet because what they have now is circumstantial evidence and as we've discussed many times before circumstantial evidence can be very strong evidence when it's piled on top of lots of circumstantial evidence However, they would like to find Summer, of course, and uh, preferably alive. But at this point, it, it, it's not looking good. But they would like to find evidence of this foul play. Uh, the attorney Joe Murray, I could see his brain is working. He wants to. Uh, he wants to comment on this. Go ahead, Joe.
2: Yeah, it's important for people to understand that unless there's allegations of you know, the imminent harm or actual harm. They're putting cigarettes out on their arms, you know, stuff like that. They'll be arrested. But for the most part, family court is to, in fact, help the family. They don't want to separate families. If there is an issue, they'll apply resources. They'll give education classes, parental classes, anger management, whatever the family needs. Family court has all resources to help assist and reunite the family that's the goal unless there's something like i said so egregious so harmful that it wouldn't be in the kids best interest to be reunified with the family but just saying they were removed that should be arrest no that's that's not the case it the case is where there'll be intervention there'll be a law guardian appointed there'll be other resources applied to that and they'll send them for you know, education and classes and and testing. If there's drugs used, there'll be drug testing and supervision. Family court is there to help. I mean, that's the goal of family court, to help families. Because, you know, it's too dangerous to just sit back and do nothing. So they're there to help people in need. and, And I think they do a good job for what they have to work with.
0: Well, everywhere, probably every city in the whole United States uh, child Protective Services does not get paid enough money. There's not enough resources put into it. So every uh, social worker at child welfare is overworked and has too many cases, and they can't possibly pay as well of attention uh, if, they, if they had less cases. So they're overworked. Let's face it, you know.
1: Bill, I wanted to make a point about what you said previously with regard to uh, the comment about an arrest being made. You know, when uh, the jurisdiction of this investigation lies in the local district attorney or the prosecutor in that jurisdiction. So I am sure that the Hawkins County Sheriff the TBI and the FBI, they're working in conjunction with that prosecutor. So now that prosecutor, I know in New York, when we had a homicide investigation, we'd work very closely with the district attorney's office, obviously for search warrants and, and, uh, subpoenas and different things like that. But also they would kind of call the shot on when, we think it's uh, uh, appropriate to make an arrest because the evidence is all circumstantial at this point. If Summer Wells is found, there's going to be, if she's found alive, great. I'm sure we could get a lot of information from her and, you know, regarding her whereabouts. But if she's not found alive, if her remains are found, there's going to be evidence that might be very, very important to a prosecution if there's an arrest. So that's why things aren't moving to the, the the tune of what everybody's thinking. Why isn't it an arrest? Why isn't it an arrest? Sometimes the investigation has to, the wheels have to turn on the investigation. You need, uh, you know, listen, there's no body at this point. She's not found. So I think that's very, very important in moving forward in investigation. So if, she is recovered. That's when things are going to really start to speed up. But, um, you know, uh, going back to day 46 of the investigation, there was one other thing I had written down uh, in my notes. Um, There was a difference of the stories between H and Candace. They both did public extensive interviews and about her being in the water and whether or not she was under the water. Now the the kid said, initially he said she was under the water for 20 seconds. Then he retracted and said it was five seconds, but he jumped in to grab her. Candace says that's an outright lie. There's a big inconsistency there. That's not something, well, it was five seconds or it might've been 10 seconds. No, there's a big inconsistency. She said she had eyes on Summer the whole time. She never went under the water and was flailing where somebody had to jump in to try and save her. And that kid says that. So that's one of the things, listen, definite day 46, I come in, I'm looking at that case folder. I want to re-interview Candace. I want to re-interview Don and I'd want to re-interview that kid to find out who's telling the truth and who's not. And
0: of course, the grandmother, we don't know if in fact, the grandmother has ever, ever been interviewed, but that's, you know, that could be that the police and the FBI, the TBI have interviewed her, but haven't released uh, their findings in in that interview. So there's a good chance. As
1: as time goes, I don't mean to interrupt you, but as time goes on too, and I've had this happen in a case where sometimes the person's. Uh, you know, their mental state they start to think about it and they start to have a conscience about it, and they lied to the police. So, to go do a double or triple or re interview, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because sometimes you might. I knocked on the door one time and there was a person, the case was six months old and a person who wound up making the whole case come together, said, come in, I've had this on my conscience and I need to tell you what really happened. So sometimes, you know, it's 46 days. That's not, you know, that's a, quite a while that, uh, somebody might have a little bit of uh, a case of conscience and, and come out with some true facts, you know?
0: Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that we are frustrated here in being, uh, you know, uh, YouTube creators here, really, and just putting forth a a show, is that, again, and we've repeated many times, we're not privy to the case folder, to the goings-on of the police and the investigators on this case. So it's frustrating to us when all we really can rely on is uh, social media, which is um, historically not that accurate with the exact information. And I know from Look, I've worked major cases, major homicide cases where the media would say, oh, the police aren't doing their job. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. You see how stupid they are? I haven't done this. And the next day, the guy walked out of the squad in handcuffs, you know, and we had we had the guy lined up all the time, but we just never told them. So that I could agree. be what's I, happening. I, I
2: think, Bill, I think that's what's happening here. Something just tells me there's there's too many things going on that we don't know about that would likely be happening if, uh, you know, if I'm right about this investigation, I, I do think something's going to develop soon. Well,
0: what were the kids removed because of an investigative lead, something that they in fact know, or were the kids removed because CPS felt.
2: I don't think they, so because they'd have to disclose it all in the petition immediately to the parents and they would be appointed counsel if they couldn't afford counsel. That would that would just tip everyone's hand, and it, it wouldn't really be a factor unless it was something that caused that imminent threat to the kids. I I think it could be as simple as smoke alarms not being in the house, and they've been told to fix them and check it, or other fire hazards. You know, maybe the, someone came to the home, looked in the refrigerator, didn't see any food. You know, that it, it could be anything. You know, after you know, it's eating. it
0: seemed like there were like wires all over the place. Yeah, too, the electrical I found wires. I was you know, like, that's. That's a fire hazard. I mean you in can't itself. leave
2: that with young kids in the house, you cannot leave that. and I'm sure they've gone there and told them and pointed this out and it wasn't corrected, you know, due to Chris's you know going over there and exposing it. I think I think that really did play a a big role. you know. The head of the agency is now looking at this and being getting riddled with calls. Why aren't you doing anything? I think that's what happened. They just caught up with everything that was going on. I don't think it was the investigators, but it could be. I mean, we don't know that. I mean, I just, you know, it's so frustrating, like you said, just sitting on the sidelines watching this, not knowing what's happening. But what we do know and some of what we've already heard, you know, irrefutably when she gives that two to five minute window, that the, the stranger abdu- abduction is just so improbable and then i even think you know someone known to the kids or or someone in the neighborhood that knows them you know i've heard a lot of people talking about well what if it's someone that's been there and knows them and the dogs are familiar with you know i just can't lose sight of the fact that this guy don you know he's got a criminal record there's domestic violence he's a drinker he's got guns you're not going to find me sneaking up on this guy. And <laughs> you know, we,
0: we spoke about that earlier on. You know, something, Joe, I just want to address something also is that people, a lot of people were saying that, oh, Don's criminal record isn't that bad. It's from years ago. But in October 2020, he was arrested and she dropped the charges. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. He was. They had probable cause to arrest him. He had a gun. He was drunk. He was, you know, he, he's not supposed to do that, you know? And because they didn't prosecute him doesn't make him innocent, you know? And, you know, as I said numerous times, and I'll repeat, he's not a good guy. He really is not a good guy. And if people want to advocate for him, that's very good. But I had 27 years as a cop, and I know a bad guy when I see one, all right? So, you know, it's— There's
2: there's, there's a saying in in the law, like, you know, when I was going to practice— They were saying that family law or matrimonial law is good people on their worst behavior. Criminal law, bad people on their best behavior. So what you're seeing with Don and Candace and coming out there, they're putting their best foot forward or trying to, and they're not revealing who they really are. And that's why it's important to look at their past actions to see what kind of person they are. But just getting back to that point, I would never try to sneak up on Don. Potentially could be drinking by 6:30 in the evening, 6:30 in the late afternoon the evening, drinking. He has a violent temper, a behavior. I, I think it's insane for someone to say, "Oh, this is someone that knew them and snuck up to kidnap, can't uh, kidnap uh, Summer." I mean, that's just insane with that kind of guy there and his past history and reputation. So I'm really just not seeing this abduction thing. Although, you know, I did. I do want to point out, if you don't mind me taking the floor here, what I did last time with her overstating that she was constantly with Summer. you know, I took her from grandma. I walked halfway there. I watched her. I called to the boys. She went upstairs. I saw her go in the house. Like she's being so protective of herself. Now, that could just be a defense mechanism because she's lying about it, but she's got the other kids to worry about. If they see negligence in any way of what she's, what she is saying happened, they may yank them anyway. We don't really know the prior interactions with CPS. And I think her concern about them also kind of raises the issue, what if there was some type of accident? There's other children involved here, and they need to protect themselves from that collateral attack, saying, well, you were negligent negligent doing this. What if they got home and did get there, but a couple hours earlier, after immediately dropping off H and got drunk, got high taking the pills and totally ignored what was happening? What if they left them home alone? and went out somewhere to you know, either sell or buy drugs. And then this happened. What are they going to tell the police? You know what they're going to tell them? I saw her. I walked her down there. I watched her, and she went right in the house, and I did nothing wrong. That's what's jumping out at me. She's I think that's, ju-
0: Joe, I think that's jumping out at a lot of people. I just want to read a quote by David Rader, who is the uh, head searcher for uh, Equus, um, Equus Midwest. He said, a stranger abduction considering where this house is does not make sense. The odds of that happening are slim to none. she wandered away, one of the family dogs would have went with her. So I just want to... Look, is there a possibility, a, a very small possibility, she was abducted? There is... A, I can't ever rule that out. But the evidence... Uh, is is pointing toward uh, that not happening? That, that that in my opinion, she never made it home from uh, the last time she was seen alive at 2:30. Here's the picture that everyone has been um, focusing on. Uh, we had Barbara Butcher, the chief of staff of the New York City office of the chief medical examiner, examine this photograph, and uh, she said. In her opinion, 100% she was alive. There's people in the chat. Uh, there was one, a 40-year nurse, 40-year, um, a woman had 40 years of experience as a nurse, said she thinks she's not alive in this picture, that she's dead. I mean, very tough to tell that from a picture, but Barbara Butcher did um, say there were three or four different things why she felt she was alive. One was the color of her lips. Another was the way her neck was positioned. Uh and I don't have the whole photo, but it's in another angle, this photo shows her hands down across her legs. So she gave several reasons why. But then there's other professionals that think that maybe she wasn't alive in this picture. And look, I'm not an expert in that vein where I could say, oh, she's 100% she's alive. I, I don't think we know. But there's a lot of things in this case that you know don't make a lot of sense. And- most investigators in this case at this point are looking at this case as as foul play, that this foul play in this case. Hey, hey Bill. Bill what do I, we
2: make, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: B- Bill, I just wanted to make a point since you're right on where the point I want to make. Um, we've been pretty careful not to make statements about stuff that we really don't know for certain. We've been kind of, uh, you know, not going on, uh, you know, uh, Just anything that's on the internet or on YouTube. We're going with media reports from police and stuff like that. But on July 22nd, there was a media report that TBI investigators have not found any evidence that Summer was abducted. They have not ruled out foul play at that point, but they have not named the suspect or a person of interest. So I think that that's pretty telling right there the chances that she was abducted, I think, are slim to none at this point. And we have a TBI investigator making that statement publicly, which we've been pretty careful not to, you know, uh, go into areas that we really don't know about. We're offering our opinions professionally, obviously, but we're not talking about things that are just rumor and innuendo or third party. And and so we're trying to be careful. And I think that that's a powerful statement right there, that they they're not they, they didn't put out, I, I said this before, they didn't in the initial stages put out a media report saying a child was abducted. They did do an Amber Alert, but they, I think they would have cautioned people in the area a child was abducted if they really believed that, even if it was days later. In the initial stages of the search, and if they started, if the investigation started to go in that direction, I think there would have been a big push with the media. And as we talked about earlier, to use the media for our benefit to warn people, there was a kid abducted, be on the lookouts. get the pictures out there, you know, so many different things. Watch your own children. We didn't see that in this case. And as of July 22nd, we have the TBI making a statement that they didn't find at that point any evidence that she was abducted.
0: You know, someone in the chat just said, well, where is the evidence of foul play? And I'll just say the evidence of foul play is their interview. And the inconsistencies in their not just interview but interviews and the, the cross-checking the interviews with other witnesses. Uh that there that's where foul play is
1: just, uh, just the fact that she's missing, a five year old missing that hasn't been found, I think right there. That's that's foul play because she was either abducted or she's, you know, she was killed, you know, with the, the, where is she? The, we, we don't know where she is. So all of the things you stayed in, obviously foul play means that She's not She's not where she's supposed to be. She's not with her family and nobody knows where she is. So there has to be foul play in this because she didn't go to visit a relative and she was gone for a couple of hours and then they found her. She's 46 days into this investigation. Nobody knows where she is. And obviously those things that you just stated, Bill, all of the interviews, they're coming across as, I, I don't know how to put it any other way than just to say they're coming across as shitty parents. They're, they're, you know, narcotics, they're drinking, and and the kids were removed. So the whole look, the whole picture is not good. And that's what leads us to come to the conclusion that we think there's foul play involved. And I'm sure the investigators on the case feel the same way.
0: Well, you know, the other day she again referred to uh, Summer in the past, which is a huge red flag because
1: how does she know that, you know? Yeah. Don also made a statement that she's, she probably is dead. I mean, he made that statement early on in the early, within the first, I I don't know, maybe a week or two into the investigation. So all of those things are obviously red flags, but, uh, you know, there's just so many things and there's inconsistencies we talked about with these public interviews they've been doing. I'd really like to get, uh, those things addressed with, with re-interviews. Joe, you have anything to add to this before we go
0: yeah, to a quick I, I, break?
2: Two things, two things really uh, that jump out at me. What do we make of the fact that the dogs who were there, and they're trained to to when they're looking for the scent of somebody, that a recent scent, they can, they can determine that. What do we make of the fact that it ended at the bottom of the driveway? Does that jump out at you in any way as, as to whether or not it was – her just walking hand in hand with someone down to a car that she got into. No, I think that she could have
0: just she could have just been in a car, and that's where the last scent was.
2: Why it died right at the end of the driveway was there a car waiting for her, and somebody walked her into the car. And here's where I'm going with that. And I'm not saying that this is what I think happened because I think there are too many conflicts with this theory. But there are so many people that. I'm reading these comments and, and even in the chat who really are heartfelt about the fact that Candace loves Summer. I mean, she tattooed her kids' names on their leg. When you put together the domestic violence and, and Don's drinking, you know, we've all dealt with cases of battered woman syndrome. What if Don was abusing Summer and Candace felt so frustrated that she arranged for her to be removed while Don Don was out. She orchestrated this. Now, I'll tell you what flies in the face of that is the polygraph, number one, you know, and then just having to make up a lie. When people make up a lie, it's so hard to be consistent with a lie because they can't think of every possibility. And then when there's a conflicting fact, It'll just expose itself. But anyway, I mean, that is potentially I'm looking at what we know. And I think it's clear that that evidence of the dog trail, finding that summer's trail led to the end of the driveway is almost as it wasn't even erratic. It was right down the driveway and it ended at the bottom of the driveway. So many have walked a car. Now, is it possible that Candace did this to protect her daughter knowing that she's gotten enough beatdowns and then he started abusing her and that she's doing this? Because she's clearly not telling the truth about, you know, the last minutes of what happened. I think that's obvious. But is she doing it to protect her from having her other kids removed? Or is is she doing it because she's trying to protect Summer? because summer was in danger and summer was threatened by don and she was powerless to do anything i don't know i mean it's just it's so i mean this case is just one
0: of the things one of the things about a, a homicide investigation a missing person investigation is that there could be a million theories because we don't know all the inside investigative details and you hope that when people have that investigative details And I've spoken numerous times about investigative direction, and it is so important to have investigative direction, to go in a direction that makes the most sense, right? So right now, what makes sense is to look at Candace and Don and the people in their circle. That's what makes sense, and that's where the evidence
1: is pointing towards. I just want to make a point about the dogs. Now, I'm not a dog expert, but could it be that that scent that the dogs picked up and it died, that could be from when they went to the store or when they returned and maybe the dog just got it as a reverse. You could have gotten out of the car, went into the, uh, the area, you know, wherever the home is, and maybe the dog just got the reverse scent. So I don't know. I mean, is it possible that that was an old scent, you know, from when she, uh, you know, when she came home or when she left. But there's another thing, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Candace loved her daughter. I mean, you know, she has children, but the environment of what was going on in the home, there could have been a horrible accident and this is now an accident took place and we don't want to go to jail for child abuse or neglect. So let's cover it up and let's come up with this story. I think that's one of the good plausible explanations what happened to Summer Wells. I think that's a strong one, but again, I'm not privy to the investigative uh, case folder. So, but I think that it's either going to be that she was intentionally killed for whatever reason in a fit of rage, or she was accidentally killed. That's what I, my best opinion at this point, that's what I think is going to be, you know, the, the abduction thing I think is almost nil.
0: Guys, Thank keep you.
1: that th- th- thought. We're going to go to a quick, a quick break, a quick commercial break, and we'll we'll come, be right back. Phil. So, if you have need for a real estate agent in the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area, Carol Waters Realtor is your girl. Her and her husband, Rob Mahan, are both million dollar sales agents in that area. So if you want to get a hold of Carol or her husband, you can call her at 914 261 6681. That's 914 261 6681. Carol Waters' email is Carol MB at gmail.com. Carol Waters Sells MB at gmail.com. Rob Mahan is a former uh, NYPD member and a, a fire department in New York City. If you need uh, real estate in that area, give them a caller. Joe Murray, attorney at law. We have the pleasure of having Joe present today. His uh, email is jmurray law.com. Jmurray law. Actually, that's his website, jmurray law.com. Joe gives insight today that was fantastic on both the legal aspect as well as the law enforcement aspect. So if you needed an attorney in the New York Avenue, area. You can reach Joe at 646-838-1702. 646-838-1702. His email, Joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe knows both sides of the fence in the uh, legal arena. Folks, uh,
0: Police Coffee is a officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. Uh, they provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps having family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. 50% of the profits from this organization go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To so order coffee from Policecoffee.com, simply that. Go to their website, policecoffee.com. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. And, uh, and again, 50% of the profits go to officers, families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. Folks, uh, Detective Michael O'Keefe is one of the best uh, police novel writers in the business. He has three novels Shot to Pieces, A Reckoning in Brooklyn, and Burnt to a Crisp. You can order his books on Amazon.com or his website, MichaelO'KeefeAuthor.com. Michael O'Keefe was involved in an incident in 1992 where he was involved in a, uh, a fight to the death with a drug dealer named Kiko Garcia. Luckily, Mike, Mike survived that encounter and Kiko did not. And the book, Shot to Pieces, is somewhat autobiographical autobiographical over this case. So if you're interested in reading his novels, you can order them at Amazon.com or his website michaelokeeffeortho.com So guys uh, what, what you know some of the things in this case too a lot of people of course many many people have theories about what occurred here and again we we have said a million times doing this show we're not going to solve this case from our pulpit here what we're doing is trying to provide information uh, and of how the investigative process works and how the leads and and what's the most probable direction this case is going and that's how we can help this out and i know a lot of folks in the chat someone ants uh, Gale just wrote i don't think cadaver dogs reacted um this chat is moving very fast uh I just Those wouldn't that. be
1: cadaver dogs in the beginning searches. Those would be bloodhounds picking up uh, some scent. They wouldn't be cadaver dogs right in the beginning.
0: Right in the beginning, right. They had. I saw that they actually had bloodhounds there.
1: Yes, the bloodhounds
0: were trying to pick up the scent. So, you know, we want to get to the um, the, the the search also. Uh, they've used that professional agency, which is a nonprofit EquiSearch Midwest, and they do tremendous tremendous work. And I've spoken numerous times to David Rader. In fact, I was on Duty Ron's show with him the other night. And he reiterated his feelings that he still does not feel this was an abduction, that this was, you know, there's foul play involved in here somewhere. I want to play a little bit of the his interview the other night with, uh, with Duty Ron. And uh, there was a little bit of, um, I don't know, miscommunication between um, – uh, Tim Coom um, and and Equisearch in regards to uh let me just get this on the screen and then we'll we'll give it a watch. From a long weekend and travel and then boom, you know. Dear power, oh, you go deep in the heart
3: now of our <laughs> Yeah,
0: I'm sorry about that, guys. Get rid of this commercial
3: there you go tuesday morning
0: uh, or monday night into tuesday this comes down just let the walk the viewers through some
3: of your connect uh communication and uh conversation with uh captain captain coop all right so we um you know originally we started with uh with the search with them um uh about four or five days into it uh, uh, with coop and again Uh, The man was doing a phenomenal job with uh, orchestrating uh, so many teams so many different law enforcement agents from the state um, uh, On up so uh, The report was very good. Uh, We felt very comfortable. I felt that they felt very comfortable with us Um, So, you know, we towards the end there we we all had to leave Um, You know, we stopped the search but it's still Kind of aided a few of our people that were down there. It's like you know we need to expand this a little bit more, and and I know that they were having budget problems as far as with money is concerned, and you know again with us being a nonprofit and and, and with the people that we have, uh, it wasn't going to cost them a dime. So I decided to reach out to to Coop again um, and to tell him what we were going to do. Um, you know this was all done through uh, conversation through text. So, you know, every time that I would try to call the man, he would um, defer me that he was busy, and uh, but we communicated through text, which was fine. Um, then there was kind of a silent period, and then, you know, then we picked back up as far as, you know, hey, we really want to do this? And, and after the, the, the forethought on this, as far as putting everything together uh, in a game plan so I could present to him. Uh, in, in a professional and organized manner, uh, which is always what we do, um, we have a game plan going into this just so we're just not haphazardly doing things. Um, we had a hell of a game plan to go into this uh, with the individuals we took down. So, you know, we um, we finally got the, the okay from him. He was going to be the liaison between uh, ourselves and law enforcement, so then that way the, the uh, there was going to be no miscommunication uh you know with what he said this and then but, but then i talked to the sheriff over here so everything went through a coup because he was still the ic so we thought that 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 was the proper way to do things and, and continue on with what they had already the, the structure that they already put into place so then um i got down there late thursday night um and started kind of thinking about some things and, and looking around. And then Friday, I had a few of the, uh, a few of my, my top girls come in and, and do the recon while I was doing media. And they were out there reconning and uh, going over the things that we wanted to see. We wanted to see it firsthand. I mean, everything was great on Google Earth, but uh, as we know, when you get out uh, in the real world, uh, from Google Earth, it looks it looks to- totally different. So my girls were on the ground on Friday. I tried calling Coop; he was busy again. I told him, I said, "Look, been, you know we're here. Uh, I will keep you up to date as far as what's going on." Um, again, Saturday we executed everything. Um, had a hell of a good day as far as ground cover. Uh, everybody was was comfortable with what we've done where we were uh no snafus no nobody's called in to complain about us Uh, everything was peachy um we had uh we had a a, kind of like a team meeting on saturday and then sunday morning before everybody left we all still felt that there were still more areas to go through i stayed until monday because i just had some defragging to do some thinking about some things and i didn't want to go home and think about it. So if I was there and I thought about it, I wanted to go and, and look at it. So, you know, after that long weekend, I drove home on Monday, and then all of a sudden, uh, and again, it takes a little bit of time for paperwork. Um, So I, I didn't think that, you know, again, we didn't find anything that was pertinent enough that, you know, again, if we see anything pertinent, we will absolutely call law enforcement immediately not like we're holding on to anything. Uh, look, we, you know, our reputation uh, speaks for itself on this. Um, so the next thing I know, I'm getting blown up with um, he did an interview and stating that we were withholding information.
0: Well, guys, what this was about was that um, Captain Tim Coop was running the uh, search, he apparently uh, was interviewed and said that um, made some disparaging remarks about equisearch and i don't know if uh, what what occurred but he's been removed as the the lead guy in regards to the search and now the hawkins, the hawkins county sheriff's office is the lead on on the search part of this investigation so our experiences uh, with dave rader and equisearch midwest has been nothing but stellar. The guy's a gem. I've spoken to him numerous times. I've been on duty, Ron's show, numerous times talking to him. And this organization is first rate. So I I don't want to make a a big deal out of it. But if they need EquiSearch to come back, they'll come back in a minute and help with this search again. So there was just some bureaucratic stuff going on behind the scenes that uh, wound up with uh, Tim Coop being removed as the... Leader of the search parties, and uh, now the um, Hawkins County Sheriff Office is the uh, lead.
1: Bill, I tried to get a hold of Tim Coop last Monday. I called after the uh, the searches were done by uh, Midwestern uh, EquiSearch on the weekend, just to try and get a comment out. Of him. I was, I didn't, wasn't successful in getting him, and I was told by the person that I did get that they're actually a volunteer search and rescue, uh, or fire rescue. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't know who they are, what they are, but, uh, I think that the uh, numbers speak for themselves with Midwest EquiSearch. I mean, they have 1,860 searches under their belt. Uh, they've never compromised an investigation. They have 400 missing returned and 238 remains found. And they made some statements. And I think Obviously, you spoke with him. You've been on the show with him on Duty Run Show. Uh, you could just listen to him and see he's a, a very uh, common sense guy, and he seems very articulate in what he says and what he does. I mean, they they deploy uh, high-tech drones if they have to. Uh, they're using GPS equipment to know where everybody is. They have communication. They must have radios. I, I don't know if it's a satellite radio or just a point-to-point radio. So they're not amateurs at what they do. They've shown me initially, and I said this before, when I heard about them, I thought it was going to be some buff group of like auxiliary cops, but uh, no, they were uh, very professional, uh, very articulate. And I think uh, I put a lot of weight in what they do and I have a lot of respect for them. And I, I made a donation to them. hundred
0: percent. You know, folks, if uh, we try to give you the perspective, a police perspective of people that have investigated these crimes before, if you like this channel, please uh, subscribe to uh, Police Off the Cuff. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. Um, we've, as you can see, we have some really great people as guests on this show, Phil Grimaldi, and of course, the great Joe Murray, the uh, attorney. And someone did comment in the uh, chat before they said, Joe, what is this guy, a liberal? I go and I said, I said, I don't think Joe Murray. You could classify uh, him him as a liberal. He's an attorney, and he likes He's to. He's a good attorney. That's what yeah, is. He he, he, he likes to attorney. think of bo- of both sides. He likes yes. to look at both sides of the situation, and and analyze it. I, the other thing I just want to mention, everyone, people in the chat are talking about the phone records and the cell site records and all of that stuff, should pinpoint what occurred. And you would think that could that should happen. However. The cell sites, from what we understand in Tennessee, aren't the same as they are in many uh, other areas. I don't know if they have as many cell sites. So a cell phone's going to hit the site that's nearest to it. So right. if the nearest cell site is far away from where something occurred, it's it's going to ping that cell site. So it could be a lot of miles away from that. It's not like And a don't city. forget,
2: Bill, they, they sometimes jump like when there's too much activity at one cell site, it'll jump to an adjacent one, you know? So it's not an exact science. You
1: know. Yeah, but I think um, the fact that they were moving around a lot on that day, and then she even made the statement about the one cell phone as opposed to the other, they have an AT&T service, which might be better in that area as opposed to a Verizon or something. But So I think that there's definitely going to be some cell phone activity that they can look into for sure. Even if there was a dead spot at the location, the home, meaning the home, that, that could be a dead spot for whatever cell phone carrier they had. But she makes admission that she wanted to call – 911 from the mother's cell phone, which was an AT&T. So that one works. And even if the cell phone uh, jumps to a different tower, it's still going to give the location of where the cell phone is if a call is being made. So I think that these are all very important points that have to be looked at. And I'm sure that there's going to be cell phone uh, technology uh, subpoenas and records that that are going to be pertinent to this investigation. Absolutely.
0: You know, someone in the chat said uh, uh, some of the... um People are donating to Equisearch. I personally donated $200 to Equisearch myself. I know Joe Murray has donated. Phil Grimaldi's donated. So uh, I'm not at the level of super chats that Duty Ron is. So I think it's easier to give my own money $200. And uh, I believe I'll I'll donate again to Equisearch because I think they're a fantastic organization and uh, they do God's work. And we've said it a million times.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
2: You know, can I just address a couple of things? There there is someone named Irish Eyes who brought up a question about the polygraphs. I think it's important to talk about the polygraphs because my experience, and I'm not a polygraph expert, I do use them a lot in my practice, and I have a particular provider that I use I don't know if you'd be interested because it seems to be a lot of questions about that to bring somebody on. Or have you done that in the past, Bill? I don't I don't know. I uh,
0: Duty Ron brought an FBI polygraph expert on. OK, because
2: a, a lot yeah. of people are, have misconception about what a polygraph can and cannot do. And I think that, you know, educating them about that would be important. The second thing is someone else sort of the spirit. I love these names. made a comment about what, what Candace was saying publicly may not necessarily be what she's telling law enforcement. That's absolutely correct. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, she's not under oath. Nobody put her hand on a Bible and said you you have to swear to tell the truth. She could in fact be fudging, uh, you know, taking liberty herself with the facts and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's horrible for the investigation and for, for her credibility, but, You can't charge her with anything for doing that. So that's entirely possible. It's a good observation. I just wanted to ask because I'm trying to use what we reasonably know are the facts that are available. And I love that that issue of the driveway and the scent going all the way to the street and then ending. If we can do it, like put a one in the chat. If you think it's possible that Candace, fearing for her daughter orchestrated this it's not an abduction it's just a removal of summer from a dangerous environment in the only way that she knew how to do and I don't I don't know if that corresponds with where Grandma is right now I don't know but if if somebody would think I I do believe she's lying about or being untruthful about what happened at the end moments. Now that could be because she's covering up an accident, And she's covering up her negligence because she's worried about the removal of the other kids. But I think there's something more here that that we're just missing. We're not really looking at. So I'm exploring all possibilities.
1: I don't know, Joe. I I would think at this point with all this uh, media attention, law enforcement attention, Maybe now that children's services are involved, wouldn't she break down and say, all right, well, I sent her over to my cousins in another state or something, you know, if, if that's where, where you're going with that theory. I
2: think um, when they put bracelets on her and and try to, you know, yeah, yeah. I think you might get a, a, you know, an admission of that sort. But in her eyes, some are safe. I, I want to make one
1: more point about... I want to make one more point about the polygraph. She publicly said that she tried it. They were going to give her a polygraph on the first or second day. And she didn't, she was crazy. And, and then she took a polygraph and passed. That might be what they led her to believe. Or she says, we don't know that it's even true. We don't know that she took a polygraph. We don't know that she passed the polygraph. So, and the polygraph is a tool that we use a lot of times with witnesses. Bill said it. I said it. I don't know that, uh, you know, I would rather have her in a room and hit her with some hard facts inconsistencies in a story and see what her reaction is uh, over a polygraph since polygraph is not admissible in court, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's a good tool. Don't get me wrong. I put a lot of weight in it professionally with law enforcement. There's a lot of times when polygraphs are, are done outside of law enforcement. And I don't, I don't put a lot of weight in those cause I, I did it when I was in the private investigation business years ago. And I know that they can be manipulated with narcotics and different things. So well,
2: uh, Betty, Betty Smith
0: I'm sorry I just want uh, Betty Smith in the chat says the key to solving this is what the boys will say if they saw summer or not that evening I I happen to agree with you that's not interrogating that's just asking one question of what happened to them yeah did you see your sister that day that uh, on June 15th and if they say no I mean obviously maybe they already have said no uh and they got that information but they're still not moving forward with an arrest because they're building the case. Yeah.
2: That's, that's what I think is going on.
0: No, no. But I, that's what I think is going on. I think they're, they're being, I, I think, and I hope they're being methodical and they're putting all the evidence together. And when the time is right, they, they're going to, they're going to move forward on this Lee, Thank you so much from Berlin, Germany for the $10 super chat. He says, I wonder why nobody seems to focus on the time frame from 3 30 to 6 30 when asked by Chris what they did. Uh, C replied, Normal stuff, what would this be?
1: Um, I think that's very, very that's a great question because, or great comment because that's the key to this whole investigation. The key right there is to you know try and punch holes in the story of what they told us that she was, uh, there was only this, you know, this four hour window or whatever it is, three hour window. And that's key to the investigation. And and I don't think it's going to be that hard to uh, impeach their statements based on what we know, you know, there's too many inconsistencies. I I mean, there was, there was a report that Candace in a a July 22nd media report from the Robertsville review that she was frustrated with investigators because They focused on the search of her home in the initial stages, and they didn't uh, force neighbors to open up sheds or barns or whatever it was that they refused. And she also stated at that point, that's the 22nd, that's weeks in, that she hadn't spoke to investigators in two weeks. And now if she didn't speak to them and she was complaining, they didn't call her and give her updates. How about her calling them and saying, what's going on? I, I mean, she should be at their door every day saying, what's the latest update? What are you guys doing? If she's truly concerned so you know there's a lot of red flags but i i love that comment by uh by that guy from germany that's a great observation that's the key to the case that time frame you know and and i think that yep the search area was was uh designated i think uh, it's just a, an opinion you know how far could a person drive from the last time she was seen alive to the time that they reported that may be why it's such a, a wide search area. You know, they may feel I maybe could have drove an hour and came back an hour. That's two hours or maybe three hours, uh, two hours out hour and a half. And that's why they have such a, a vast search area that they're looking at. You know,
0: Phil, I just wanted to m- make mention of one thing. And that David Rader said the day <clears throat> they were down by uh warriors, the water hole, uh, Candace was there. And he believed she knew who he was. She never came up to him and said, "You know, thank you for searching for my daughter." I sort of feel that that's a bit a bit of a red flag there. That you wouldn't go and thank the man who's running the search um, the search group to looking for your daughter. That again doesn't make anyone guilty, but it's another red flag that you can look at in a circumstantial way. I I, I really believe that.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of their responses to things that don't make sense. And I think that that really puts it in a nutshell. Why wouldn't she be knocking on the door of the police or going to the station or calling them every day? What's going on? What's going on? Why wouldn't she thank searchers that are trying to rescue her daughter? You know, these things just don't make sense. And I think that we're using a lot of common sense, our knowledge of law enforcement. And I think we're being very careful about what we say. Uh, You know, we've, Uh, Bill and and Joe, we've always talked about having integrity in investigation and keeping things close to the vest. And we're trying to do the same thing here on the show. We're not talking for our butts where we're making statements based on professional opinion. And I think that that's, I'm not trying to knock anybody else's podcast, but I think that police off the cuff after hours, that's what we've been doing. We've been trying to maintain integrity. And I'll be the first one to say, I could have... 45 days of going in one direction and I come in on the 46th day and I look at that case folder and I say, wait a second, let's look at this. I have no problem with that. Making it a complete backup or U-turn, whatever you want to call it. Instead of going down this road, we're going to go down this road and moving forward with that. If that seems like the most logical, you used the word logical before. That's what investigation is. You go in a direction that's most logical. It makes the most sense, common sense. And, and I think that, uh, I'm sure that's what these investigators are doing. I mean, it's not just some, you know, small town police department, the TBI is involved, the FBI is involved. I'm fairly certain that they're, uh, they're dotting their eyes and crossing their D's and covering all the bases. And, uh, you know, if you have to change direction, you can't have blinders on an investigation, especially a homicide investigation. You need to have all, all things are open on the table. And we kind of put that to sleep about the uh, abduction, but Tomorrow morning, there might be something that opens a whole new uh, area of investigation, and, and it is a, uh, an abduction. We don't know. It, it's possible. It could be. So I'm never afraid to change direction in the case is the point I'm trying to make.
0: You know, Lee okay, from me- Berlin says, again, I just want to make she makes one more comment. Thanks for commenting on my question, gentlemen. My second question would be why none of the parents seem seems to want revenge. By the way, I'm a woman. Well, thank you, Lee, for identifying yourself. And uh, Joe, you want to answer that?
2: But wait, I am a little confused. What is she saying that exactly? When you know, when well, she said, said,
0: "Thanks for commenting on my question." No, uh, the, the, the this is a second question. What was the first question? Oh, now I don't see her uh, chat. But uh, my second question would be why none of the parents seem to want revenge. By the way, I'm a woman. Well, like revenge to who? To
2: yeah, I'm confused. If they're, if,
0: they're, if they're claiming that this, they think it was an abduction, which Don said. Don says he thought, that, I mean, he saw day one, the interview, he said, she's probably been abducted. And I don't know where he got that from, you know, which struck us all as investigators as very strange for someone to say that. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, and she's probably in some basement, he said. So we've all watched the interview. Of both of them, and they both said some things that were uh, quite strange. I would, I would say you've you, you've seen that interview, right, Joe?
2: Yes. You know, I, something really bothers me. You know, there was discussion about them going to church on Saturday, and everyone loved summer, and they would all be there, they, together. You know how that is. I mean, you get to know people, you see people. What if somebody spotted bruises on Candace, and and then she revealed some of uh, potential abuse going on. I gotta tell you, if Candace ever invited me to her house while Don was out and I saw what was going on, I could I could really feel for this kid, you know. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that this is like the strongest theory out there, but I do think if there was some type of abuse going on, and Cand- Candace just being helpless. Somebody made a pitch to her, listen, we can give her a better life. We could do this. We could do that. It really bugs me that somebody walked her to the, the street, which is what it appears anyway. And even, Phil, when you mentioned, well, they just came home, I don't think they parked the car in the street and walked up the driveway. I don't think that's the case. I think that's pretty significant that that trail went down to the street, almost as if someone pulled up and she walked her down. I I don't Hmm. know. I'm just starting to, I'm really struggling with this. This case has just grabbed me. (laughs) I I feel Well, you know,
0: Joe, because there's so many missing pieces for us because we're not the investigators on this case. We do not have the results of cell phone records. We do not have the results of searches. We do not have the results of a lot of the evidence. We don't have the results of the interviews. So we're just talking about what may have happened. We're, we're, um, hypothesizing and theorizing like everyone else. 5P, thank you so much for the $20 super chat. If we had that information, we would have more of a right to get upset of not knowing what direction this case is going in.
2: I just think a lot of people saw this kid as a beautiful, you know, beautiful kid that, you know, was so happy. And and then if anyone saw the life she's living and – you know, suspected abuse and then Candace wanting to give her a better life. I I think that's possible.
1: I really love your point of view, Joe, because now you're putting a different, you know, you're coming up with a different theory. And I I think that there might be some, you know, there's some meat to that, what you're saying. Now that you brought up a great point, they probably wouldn't have parked at the bottom of the driveway, they would have pulled up to where the property is up to where the home is. So I think that that's something that has to be explored 100%. And, you know, uh, being frustrated with the case, that's something that you might want to address with Candace in a re-interview. So I, I think y- your point of view, I think is great. And this is why a case isn't solved by one detective. It never is. It always is a team effort. And when you put your heads together, and you come up with different opinions and ideas, this is how the investigative direction is, you know, uh, uh, established. And I think that's a great point, Joe. I really didn't see that. And you caught that. And that's, that's really good. That's really good. Shannon Penny, thank you so much
0: for the $10 super chat. She's from Australia. We love people from all over the world. It's amazing. Uh, And you guys always commenting on our New York accents. We can't help it. We're sorry. Uh, Hi, fellas. Wondering if it would be protocol to request home CCTV along their routes. In Australia, this is something our police request from the public. uh, Check Don's new Facebook post today. Many thanks. I haven't seen... Don's new Facebook post. If someone could uh, enlighten us to what it said, but Shannon, thank you so much for those remarks. I don't. I'm not aware that people in this country have CCTV. Some people have cameras on their doors, door cameras and stuff like that. Some people may even have video on their property. I don't think that was the case in this instance. And in in ma- ma- uh, many large cities. There's of course uh, surveillance cameras all over the place. I don't know if those cameras exist in Tennessee or not.
1: There had to be cameras along the route that she claims she took between the hospital, the Walgreens, the vape store, all of those different moves that they made. They had they had to come across some type of video surveillance in in their movements that day. And I think that that's a great uh, comment. Uh, I'm sure that the police are looking into those things. We said it before. If they were at the hospital, they went in. There has to be people that saw them and there has to be video cameras to prove that they were there, you know? And then Walgreens, every Walgreens in the country has video cameras, I'm sure of it. So, uh, you know, those are definite, that's a great comment. And those are uh, uh, obviously things that had to be uh, investigated and looked at.
0: Phil, we spoke about this a lot of times about the technology in this case. In fact, we had Mike Fabozzi on, who is a computer crime expert. And we talked about uh, that geo search where they can pull up in an area, every single electronic device, if they have a specific time, they can pull up those devices. And I want to give away all this top secret information, but that's possible. So again, we're not privy to all of the electronic information that's come back because that can change
1: uh, an investigative direction. For certain. For certain. I think that when we had Mike on, he really gave us into insight into all these different investigative techniques that we use with all this technology today. And, um, you know, like you said, we don't want to divulge too much. I mean, when I talk about interviewing interrogation, I, I did say that I would like to do an interview with two detectives in the room and, and the person alone. There's other things that I would do. I would, you know, maybe uh, stage the room d- differently but i'm not going to talk about those things and you know um there's so many things that statements that that candace and donna making and a lot of them are self-serve to use a legal term joe self-serving yeah. statements when right. she says that she walked summer from 20 yards away from where the mother's trailer is to the house that's a self-serving statement in my eye. I doubt she did that. I don't think I don't think
0: anyone there. believes that, Phil. I of don't think anyone believes
1: of course that. It's a know? routine. They're living there a while. It's not like they got there yesterday. So to I mean, it's a secluded piece of property. What would be the purpose of walking her to that door and making sure that she got in? That's a self-serving no, statement. No, that
0: that's right. It's oh it's overdone and it's not yes, believable of course. because of it is course. overdone. Charme yeah. Lilly from Connecticut. Hello from Connecticut. If they were so concerned. About an abductor, they weren't further concerned about the so-called abductor still on the loose, and worried about their other children being taken. We, Phil, commented on that earlier in the show that if they thought law enforcement thought this was a kidnapping, they a would tell everyone abducted, in, the, in, in that in the whole area, beware of so and so,
1: beware of this guy or this car. And they haven't said that because they, I don't think they believe that. They were careful in what they said. They said that the red. Uh, Toyota Tacoma pickup truck with the white buckets in the ladder was a person of interest we think could be a witness and they were careful about that you know they didn't put an all-out bulletin that be on the lookout for a red Toyota uh, pickup truck that may have abducted a child they didn't go in that direction I think that's telling though see that's what we're talking about we're talking about timeline and facts we're going by information that we know is certain not a guess or something that some blogger said on on YouTube you know So very important with the way-
0: Phil, I I just want to read this comment. JoJo Peanut, would you and authorities be looking in all these dumb places? I don't consider any place they've looked to be dumb. If she was abducted, no. Sorry, I'm very upset, but all these search teams are wasting time. Can you hear? Yeah, I can hear, and I disagree with you. Because we- Look, investigation is done on probability and on common sense and on where- the investigation, the direction is going. And the the investigators believe this was not an abduction. Could they be wrong? Yes, they could be wrong. But we, I, I've discussed this before. Investigation is an art and a science. And the art and the science come together and you uh, work on probability. And that's how investigation is done. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. I understand that you're upset. We're all upset that this little five-year-old girl uh, is missing now for 46 days. You
1: know, well, what, what's and, the point that this guy's trying to make that the, the, the searches are fruitless. They're, they're, they're frivolous. Right, that it's, it's a, a that it's a waste of time.
2: Of time. Yeah.
1: I, I don't I know agree. how that could be. I mean, you know, that's that, that really doesn't make sense. I mean, Oh, but,
0: I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Jojo peanut. I just saw your second post. She just wrote, that was Don's post. So that's coming from Don oh, Wells.
3: Oh,
1: okay. Well, thank well, you why very would much. Say something like that—that that these searches are, are frivolous. I mean, what, think about that. That's a, that's yeah. something that's important. You know, why would he say that? He's he's making assumption based on what he knows. You know, uh, that, that's. I is mean, he that, trying to, he's trying uh, to steer the investigators away from searching. Maybe you know, maybe they're getting closer and closer to where. Can, uh, where summer could be and maybe he knows that you know that that's telling that statement that's important I'm glad yeah I, I,
0: I you know something that, Phil you're right and and thank you so much for uh, uh giving us that statement Lauren C Joe from an attorney's uh perspective what do you think about Candace saying I don't know and I'm not sure to the more detailed questions
2: I don't know I mean I, I've said this from the beginning Candace to me is just a horrible witness. I don't care if she was reported, if I arrived on the scene of a car accident, and she's like, I saw the whole thing and tried to tell me it. I, I would say she's a terrible reporter of facts. She's self-admittedly terrible with time. And I do believe that. I don't, I don't think she's just doing that to cover up. I don't think she's a good witness to begin with. So when she makes comments like that, it's not as weighty with me as being suspicious. Nope. I think she's just being who she is. You know, Joe,
1: I want to make a comment on that as well, because I really think that's a great question. Her as a witness, she's not good. I'll give you that. I agree with you 100%. But me as an investigator, I'm going to be okay with minor inconsistencies. What I mean by that is, I don't really know about the time. I don't keep a track of time. Maybe she doesn't wear a watch. I'm going to be okay with those things. But specific inconsistencies, like, for instance, the fact that the kid H makes the statement that the summer was underwater from anywhere from five to 20 seconds. And the mother says, that's not true. It's a lie. He made it up. Things like that. Don't come across in my mind as I'm going to write it off as she's a bad witness. No, that's something that I'm going to drill down on. That's a fact that I need to drill down on. I need a solid answer. And having generalized, um, Uh, recollections of things that aren't exactly good. She's a bad witness. I get it, Joe. You're 150% right about that. I do agree with that. But... When you come to a, a, a some kind of an inconsistency like that one I just pointed out, that's where the investigators are going to drill down and say, think, and this, come on, you got to tell us 100%. There was no way. You never left your eyes off for a minute, even when you went to go drink the Twisted Tea or whatever it is. You know what I'm, where I'm going with it? That's 100%. where you would drill down. I, I, I agree that's with you. F- I actually agree yeah. with
2: you. I think she's lying about that. She's yes. trying to put forth and for the public perception that she never took her eye off of Summer. Never. And that's a lie. So that's why she's, you know, inconsistent with that, as you pointed out. But I think it's because of her herself just being who she is. Like she's, I'm sure, was so disinterested in what uh, Summer was doing in the water and engulfed in her conversation with, you know, her mother Or, you know, whatever else she was doing. I'm sure she was not laser focused on Summer the whole time, like she says. So you're absolutely right. I think that is important. But I don't think it means that something nefarious was happening. I think she's just, that's who she is. Like, she wasn't paying attention, but had to cover that up. Otherwise, look negligent, you know? Again, self-tracking statement.
0: Betty Smith, I guess if my kid accidentally died and I was covering it up, I wouldn't have involved the three boys seeing Summer when they can discredit me later, even if threatened. Say Summer ran to swing, missing. Look, I I disagree with you. I think that she would ask those boys to lie. And uh, hopefully the police and the FBI and TBI, they know that answer. We surely don't right now.
1: We don't know what the boy said, too. That's the other thing. We're, yeah. we're making assumptions and we're saying, well, maybe she told them what. We really don't know. They might have, right from the beginning, said she never came back to the house. We don't know that, and and I'm very happy that they didn't release all that information. Keeping everything close to the vest is one of the things that I would do in an investigation. I'm okay with that.
0: Layla Anahid says, even if someone was abducted by a stranger, those searches are still not dumb because the abductor... Could have disposed of her in the area. Still, I don't believe the abduction theory. But Leila Anayhad, you're a hundred percent right. That's uh, exactly right. That the, the ser- first of all, the searches should should continue. Absolutely. Uh, you know because you know we don't know what happened. So what are you going to say? We're going to stop searching because uh, you know it's not. You, you know
3: what, Phil?
1: In, in a search like this, and I hate to even think about this, but um. They could have gone over and missed, but now so much time has passed. If if, if she is dead, the body decaying, the, the smells, things like that. So it's definitely a good thing to keep searching because there's, there's a perimeter that they must have established early on that they think that she could be in. And it sounds like it's a very large perimeter, but people checking their property, going into a shed that they hadn't gone in and things like that, all highly recommended because I think a big turning point is in this case is gonna be when she is found. That's gonna be a big turning point.
0: Jojo Peanut again posts another post from Don that he's going off today. Uh, he writes, Dave Rader, uh, you talk about uh, you talk a lot, but can't can't you can't hear. You expect us to bow down to you, but we only bow down to God. We've been saying since the beginning she was abducted. I mean you know again he's uh he's saying things I, that he has no
1: idea or maybe he does have an idea you know I I wonder if he's intoxicated when he's when he's uh you know like they call it drunk texting or you know I don't know I don't know they, they sound like they're uh you know outlandish uh statements to me
0: yeah I, I agree I think uh Zelda Zelda thank you for the five dollar super chat and she says why hasn't Don contacted SDA leader Doug Batchelor. Amazing facts. Very good. I, I don't know, Zelda, what you're referring to. Um, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, Don has believed everything Candace told him as he repeats everything Candace told him. Maybe he doesn't want to believe Candace would hurt Summer. I feel he is in denial of what really happened. I think they know what happened. I think Don and Candace know what happened.
2: I think Candace met some wonderful, charitable person in church and saw an opportunity to give Summer safety, love, and happiness because she was in danger and being abused. That's a theory right now. And a big piece of that evidence is that scent going right to the, to the street and ending she got into a car. If it was a straight trail, that's consistent with somebody walking her down and putting her in a car. I can't ignore that. There's something going on there. And Lynn, looking at Lynn, the way they live, I'm sorry, Joe. Looking at the way they live now, the the state removing the other kids. I don't know. I I, I can't. It's so frustrating not knowing what happened. I'm I, i I'm looking in all directions, and that proved to me it's not what happened. Like, where is the inconsistency of that theory?
1: You know, I want to make a comment on that, Joe. Uh, Candace stated in one of her public interviews that she didn't like air conditioning and she drove with the windows open. So that could explain how the scent went down to the driveway and maybe the dogs lost the scent when the car picked up, you know, speed and took off. I mean, anything's possible at this point. I think it's a great point that needs to be looked at, but I'm just trying to think a little out of the box. And based on statement, mm-hmm. she said, sounds like they kept the windows open on the vehicle that they use. So I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm not a dog expert. I'm not sure if that plays into the uh, blood, bloodhound blood uh, theory.
2: I'd like to know more about that dog trail. Was it was uh, was Dave uh, privy to that? Do you know from there?
1: He was. He said he was present when the dogs yeah, exactly. uh, did that search, and, and that's where the trail ended. So he was around.
2: I'd like to but, drill down more on that. Was it a straight trail? Did it go off in different yeah. directions? And did I mean, yeah, he he gave everything? that
0: state Joe. Uh, he gave that statement that a stranger abduction, considering where this house is, doesn't make sense. The odds of that happening are slim to none. If I she wandered away, one of the family dogs would have would have went with her. So that's from right from Dave Rader. Amy Darcy, why would Candace...
2: We're not talking about a stranger abduction. We're talking about a prearranged Candace. Okay, come now. Pull up in the car, walk her down, and split.
0: Well, look, I, I think that he, he had a history of uh, sexual abuse with his own sister. Going back a lot of years, you know, so Amy, Darcy, Marie, why would Candace mom be allowed to leave the state during an ongoing investigation as well? Allegedly, Candace gave up two other daughters. I don't know about those two other daughters. Why was she allowed to leave the state? Cause very possibly law enforcement already interviewed her. Someone no, also said, that make that point. someone also said in the chat, it, 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 no, she's not. And she's free to go about her life. Someone she she gave
1: an extensive interview and they were satisfied that she was a, either not involved or couldn't provide any further information. And her traveling out of state is not a big deal, in my opinion, at this point. I think that uh, if they had her in the, the crosshairs as being a suspect, she wouldn't have left the state. So.
0: Uh, someone in the chat said, if we, if, if this investigation, when it's completed, if it turns out we're wrong, will we come back on and admit we're wrong? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I, and 100%. I, I said, you know, I'm not... I'm not a psychic. I go what with investigation I've repeated numerous times. Investigation is an art and a science and you follow the leads and to where you, you use logic where it most likely goes. Could I be wrong? Yeah, I could be a hundred percent wrong. I've been wrong before, you know, and I'll be wrong again. I'm not here acting like, because I was a New York city cop for 27 years that, you know, I think that counts for a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I've as I said I've made mistakes before and I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again you know it, it definitely happens um miss red I agree I, I believe something thank you for the 999 super chat I believe something happened at the swimming hole Candace told Chris that this is where everything starts to go in slow motion
1: like he something traumatic happened there it's I, I think that that's a great possibility and uh as far as us being wrong I just want to say this <laughs> Like, like you said, Bill, you were wrong before. I was involved in a homicide investigation real quick. We had a guy ID'd by three or four witnesses and the fourth witness said it's possibly him in a photo array. And when we did the lineup, nobody picked him. And we continued on our investigation. Within a, a day from that point, we were focusing on a, a brand new suspect that turned out to be the actual murder murderer. So... To be wrong about something, it happens. It doesn't happen a lot of times. But if you're wrong, you're wrong. And cases take different twists and turns. And if we're wrong about it, I'll be the first one to admit Bill, it. You know something?
0: Exactly. I'm not ashamed to say, I, I, you yeah. know, again, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. And and I'm going on what my gut feeling and where the evidence leads. That's where I go. Lee, again, thank you for that $10 super chat. He writes, is this apocalyptic situation? fatalistic rhetoric of the father, a specific thing in their church, plus the fact that he doesn't want to catch the abductor. To me, he seems he knows she passed and wants to soothe himself. There's a lot of strange things going on in this case. And uh, I can't, you know, I can't predict all of them and say what each and every one means, because you get a feeling too, when you're personally in a room with somebody and you get a feel for them as a human being, you get a feeling. As to whether they're telling the truth or whether, as we say in New York, whether they're blowing smoke. And I won't say where they're blowing that smoke, but that's that's an expression for not telling the truth in New York is blowing smoke. So
1: yeah, that's a great point, Billy, because you get somebody in that room and you have a lot of information before they get in that room, you're going to know when they're telling the truth and when they're lying. And it's it comes from experience, it comes from, uh, you know, uh, doing this over and over again. And with regard to our opinions and the things that we're saying, and if we're wrong, don't forget, we are not intimately involved in the investigation. We're doing this from a peripheral standpoint. We're on the outside. We're going based on not innuendo or third party statements. We're going by facts that are reported words out of Don's mouth, words out of Candace's mouth, words out of H's mouth, words out of law enforcement with regard to press releases. So, and again, We've said it hundreds of times. We don't have intimate knowledge of the case folder. We're not reading what this one said, what information came back from that cell phone dump. So we're doing it based on our experience. And I think that I don't think we're going to be, when this case comes to an end, I don't think we're going to be that far off. If we are, we are. But I don't think we're going to be that far off. And I think that there was a a couple of great theories that were explored today. So. Tack, thank you for the 999 Super Chat.
0: You say uh, some are dancing in the video, a red barrel for sale. Uh, Chris visits, red barrel, freshly painted. Some are was sold. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I know that a lot of people have different theories as to what's going on here. Uh, we, we try to go with where the evidence leads us, and I can't jump to that uh, from from where I see the evidence at this point.
1: I agree with you on that, Bill. The the uh, a lot of people talked about it in different chats. I don't I don't buy that at this point. I think that law enforcement would have been all over that if there was indications or you know evidence leading in that direction. And uh, I, I think we're we're right on target. What happened is right in the close circle of Candace's. I'm sorry, of Summer Wells' family. That's where this – The 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 puzzles. Uh, the pieces of the puzzle are there. The mystery will, will be revealed within that family unit. That's what I feel about this case.
0: Phil, 100%. Totally Troy, Troy, Troy Rub, thank you so much for the $20 Super Chat. I want to thank you guys for taking this case. This happens a lot in eastern Tennessee. That's too bad that it happens a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's it, this this case is heartbreaking for everyone involved. And these are the cases that when I... Was in the homicide squad. I would never. I wouldn't go home. I wanted to be at work till the case was concluded in a positive fashion. You know, because if this is so so
1: heartbreaking, you know,
0: guys, we've even been on there. Even when you went
1: home, Billy, can I make this point? That I really don't mean yeah, to sure. even. You made a great point that I really have to expand on it. When you work in a case like this, even when you went home, you could be eating dinner with your family, hearing about what their day was like. Your mind is still maybe I should have checked this. Or what about that person said, it doesn't leave you till there's a conclusion. That's how I was. And I know most of the guys that I work with, you know, you, you, you can't not, I mean, us being involved from the peripheral, I'm thinking about this all the time, you know, because we've been so on top of it. So I think the investigators, yes, you're taking this home with you. There's no question. And you're thinking about things. And sometimes you might pop up in bed in the middle of the night with an idea, and that might be the successful co- conclusion to the case. So, you no, know, you know, uh, Phil, I I was, was like that. I was
0: totally like that when I was in homicide. I remember I had a case. I had a case of a thirteen-year-old kid who was stabbed to death in a gang fight, and my son was the exact same age at the time, and I couldn't go home and sleep. I couldn't sleep till that case was solved, and we locked up a sixteen-year-old for killing a thirteen-year-old, and the sixteen-year-old it was his first arrest, and he was sentenced to twenty-five to life, because he showed little or no remorse in uh in the trial and the judge slammed him imagine 25 to life when you're 16 years old but how about the 13 year old that never got to live his life you
1: yeah, know yeah that's that's a sad story and uh two two lives one taken and the other one i guess kind of ruined but uh hope, hopefully it is uh some type of uh you know the kid'll show remorse one day and uh, maybe turnover and relief that's what you hope for anyhow but uh, yeah a lot of times these cases especially a case like this anytime it it, it dealt with elderly people or children it just it had a different tone when you worked on it you know I mean obviously every case uh, when you're a detective on a homicide investigation that's a big weight that's on your shoulder but it's even a little bit more when it's somebody that's innocent like a little five-year-old kid or an elderly person and uh We really hope and pray that uh, there's going to be a successful conclusion to this, and hopefully it'll be soon.
0: 100%. Carolyn, baby, thank you so much for the $15 Super Chat. It's not about right or wrong. I really appreciate the input from experts in their field. You gentlemen, to help lay people have an understanding of what may be going on, and thank you so much. And folks that that don't understand, uh, really, law enforcement is that we're not convicting anyone in this case. We're discussing the case. People say, oh, they're innocent to proven guilty. That's true. And we recognize that. No one's been arrested, so we're not convicting or we, no one's even been arrested, so we're not even arresting anyone, or nor will we be the ones to arrest them. But we are just basically giving educated guesses, hypotheses, basically, on where this case. Joe, I'm sorry I cut you off. Say whatever you want to say right now.
2: No, that's fine. Bill, I just want to address that, too. You're making great points. When people say if you're wrong, well, I don't think we're we're doing the right or wrong thing. I think what we're doing is testing hypotheses to see if it's consistent. And you look at all the facts in the case and see if this theory is consistent with what we know. Now we know very little because it's, you know, being held by the uh, the uh, law enforcement, uh, the the bulk of the file and the facts. But of what we know, we're trying to tease out whether or not this or that theory is consistent. And right now, that's what we're looking at. I think it's it's highly improbable. Like, we're not making any absolutes. We're saying highly improbable, a stranger abduction. We're also saying it's highly improbable, even someone who knew the family abducted that kid. I want to just throw my theory out there that this still... It's consistent knowing how this family lived and their history and the domestic violence and the potential for someone to approach them and say, I want to give her a better life, potentially even from the church. I'm still, you know, I want to learn more about that dog trail from to the uh, street before I could rule that out.
1: Right. No. You know, Joe. I want to. Uh, I want to make a comment on something you said previously. Our criminal just justice system in this country is the best in the world, and therefore, yes, a person is innocent until proven guilty. And I'm okay. Bill's okay, and I'm sure you're okay with the rights that you know, right to counsel, and all the different things that happen in a, in a criminal justice case. And I have no problem if I'm gonna. Uh, arrest someone for a murder. And I'm going to use all the evidence that I've gathered. And I'm going to go to court. I have no problem with being challenged by a defense attorney on the facts of the case, because that is the right of the people. You have the right to uh, uh, confront your accuser in court. So that's, I'm okay with all of that. And if I didn't do my job professionally, and I'm sure Bill will agree with this, then maybe there is a a reason that the case should be thrown out or overturned or whatever it is. So I'm okay with the criminal justice system in this country. Is it flawed in in times? Yes. OJ Simpson, I think is the perfect example of it being flawed, but it's the best system that we have. Could it be maybe uh, made better in the future? Of course, there's always possibility that things could be improved and any improvements I think would be something positive, but I'm okay with the system that we have. And I think that once the wheels start to turn as a detective, you have to be okay with having your evidence, your interviews, and whatever it is in the case challenge. You have to be okay with that.
0: Anita Salia, the Wells are not originally from Tennessee. I feel that people need to understand that Tennessee is a great place to live, but we're all different and special in our own way. Anita, never have we ever disparaged Tennessee on this show. And I, I know Tennessee is a great state and I'm, I've never disparaged Tennessee. We have spoken about these people that are involved, uh, the Wells family that are involved in this case and, and, you know, Candace and Don, and of course the their sons we've spoken about the way they live and we're not, uh, implicating the state of Tennessee because we talk about that.
1: You know, uh, one of the comments I saw was about us being judgmental. I've said this before. I don't like the word judgmental. I'm a very articulate person when it comes to facts. And as an investigator, when I was, I'm retired now, but when I was an investigator, I went based on facts. So the facts are, we made statements about their state of mind when they gave public interviews. It was obvious that they were intoxicated. So if you want to talk about that, another thing. When you watch that video of their home and uh, Candace and the, and the interviewer had to go down into almost like a cavern, like a cave, they called it a basement, and you saw the surroundings of that home. So for us to say we agree with Child Protective Services removing the other children, we're not doing it being on based on judgmental. It's not about judgmental. It's based on fact, and I am certain that Child Protective Services assess the situation and they made those decisions based on fact they it's not about being judgmental i don't like that word because if someone is a heroin addict or an alcoholic then that's what they are that's not being judgmental that's stating right. a fact and and you're not using oh uh, just by you know my opinion no i'm going to Use it based on facts, you know, and having history of, we don't know that there was history of child protective services. It, it's, it might be an assumption to even bring it up, but... Maybe there was some interaction or interdiction by child services. And now that they came and they saw, well, it was dangerous before, it seems even more dangerous now. And they removed those kids. We are not being judgmental on this podcast. I have to say that. And I can't stress it enough. We're going based on the facts that we know, and we're making opinions and we're making statements based on our previous experience. That's all we're doing here. Slim Hoffa, thanks for the
0: 4.99 super chat. Watching from New York City, the Bronx. Quick question: Have you seen the door in Summer's room was hard to unlock? Mom states she doesn't know if the door was locked. Yeah, I did see that. I, I, you know, but I also doubt anyone of their in their right mind would enter that that the house. Uh, you know, if they didn't, if they didn't know the family or whatever, because it, it was a scary place. I think you know
1: stranger abduction would not have taken place at 6.30 in the evening on a summer day, sunny, or, you know, it wasn't inclement weather where you could have snuck in. And I I just don't see that stranger abduction is like the furthest thing on my mind on this case. And again, I could be wrong, but that's how I feel about it based on the facts that I know and the layout of the house and that door being hard to open and all, you know, that that's my opinion.
0: You know, guys, we've been on the air for almost an hour and 45 minutes, and uh, I think that uh, I just want to talk to the folks. If you're not subscribed uh, to Police Off the Cuff, please uh, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. Also, we have a Patreon if you want to join us for extra content. Uh, We do a show called Police Off the Cuff, which is mostly interviews of great people in law enforcement. We cover different topics and of course we're doing this real crime show right now with uh that is on this case that has captured the imagination and the hearts of so many people across the country and across the globe. Uh Joe Murray, you're the best. I mean, you, you know, I maybe you might upset people because you give both sides of the uh the issue and I I like that. I may not agree with you, but I like that you you play sort of devil's advocate. You're given both sides of the story, and I appreciate that. Any uh, last words before we say goodbye?
2: I, I really appreciate what you're doing by keeping this out here, and I will always be here and answer the call if you need me going forward. I am just so obsessed with it. Angela Angel gets mad at me. She's like, I'm going to lose you now for the whole weekend because I'm going to be <laughs> answering comments and writing back and forth to people. I'm just so captured by this. Uh, I'm a hostage to this case. I, 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 It's just such gut-wrenching, you know, heartfelt, this poor little kid. Every time I see her picture. So thank you for keeping this out there. I think the more we talk about it and keep it out there, good things can come from that.
0: Joe, I really appreciate that. And you know something, we're going to try to stay with this case till uh, till it's solved, till there's a conclusion, you know. Straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. What do you got for me, man? Before we say goodbye. Hey, oh,
1: forget about (laughs) it, Billy. All kidding aside, uh, just to give you a little insight into my state of mind with this thing, last night, three o'clock in the morning, I was on the computer looking because, like we said, you bring this stuff home and I was just reading some interviews and stuff and and press releases and, and, you know, to try and give everybody that's tuning in, the listeners, the subscribers, a real solid uh, opinion and a look at uh, from a a law enforcement point of view. Um, Billy, thank you for having me back. It's great to be on with Joe. I, I have a lot of respect for his legal ability as well as his law enforcement ability. He made some great points today. And it's, listen, whether you agree with it or not, it's always good to have a fresh set of eyes or another opinion. And like he said, he wants to look into that, see if it's, nonsense or if there's some way to it, you know, and I think it should definitely be considered at this point if it hasn't been already, you know? So again, 100%. thank you, Billy. And, and keeping this case, it's uh it's kind of eating at us a little bit. I could see all three of us, you know, we want yeah, this thing I mean, to come to a conclusion.
0: You know, folks uh, it, it, that are in the chat and people again, from all over the country, all over the world, we're trying to give you our best uh, police perspective on this case, on the way we actually worked cases uh, in New York city. And I don't think there's a greater police department on this earth than the New York City Police Department. I was very proud to be a New York City uh, sergeant for 22 out of my 27 years. And I was proud to be a member of the NYPD for almost 27 years. And I'm sure uh, Joe and Phil would uh, would agree with me. It's uh, There was definitely a big sense of pride being a, a New York City cop. And um, again, we we just 100%. We're so happy that you folks are following us, police off the cuff, and um, we'll come back again and we'll do another episode on this case, hopefully, and we're hoping that there's some positive uh, news to report, you know, but until the, till then, I'm Bill Cannon, and on behalf of Phil Grimaldi and Joe Murray, this has been police off the cuff, real crime stories. Thank you so much for listening.
3: Stay safe, Thank everybody. You. Thank you.